On today's episode of Kick Some Glass, Carrie is more than the name of my favorite Sex in the City character. It's also a no-fail interview strategy, why the drawings of young kids is making me hopeful for the future, and just how specific do you need to be in your job search anyway. Glass Kickers, and welcome to episode nine of the Kick Some Glass Career Coaching Podcast. And this episode is very super special. Um, this is hopefully the beginning of a very long and fun co hosting podcast partnership with Melissa Blackmore. Melissa, are you there with us? I am here, Tammy. Hello, Glass Kickers. <laughs> Hi. Um, So, Melissa, why don't you share a little bit about yourself with everyone? Um, And uh, yeah, I'm just going to throw it right over to you. All right. Well, my name is Melissa. I'm currently living here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, I'm a recent Bachelor of Commerce graduate from uh, the Memorial University Faculty of Business. Um, I certainly have a passion for helping people, especially helping people on their job hunt. Um, I have a background in recruitment. I worked with a global mining company for almost a year, and um, it was primarily recruitment-based, so I did a lot of co-op recruitment and uh, a lot of production area recruitment and staff recruitment. And I've also recently just worked at uh, the university in their HR department as well. So there I had some experience with benefits and pensions and job evaluation and all sorts of fun and wacky HR tasks. Awesome. I so love that you are joining the podcast as my co-host because, you know, I'm on the, I'm I'm sort of on the other side of the table with, you know, like I'm on the candidate side with resume writing and job search strategy and that sort of thing. So it's so valuable, I think, for job searchers to know what goes on on your side of things, like on the HR side from the, the company standpoint. Oh, yeah. No, that's something that I can certainly relate to. I know uh, before I started my recruitment career, um, I had a couple friends who were recruiters. So I know on my initial job search, I was always reaching out to them like, oh, like, can you give me some insight? Um, what are some things that I should do in an interview? What are some things I can add to my resume and so on and so forth? So I definitely have a different perspective now that I have the recruitment background. But yeah, I'm certainly willing to uh, get out there and pass off my tips. Wonderful, wonderful. So you... A recent graduate. So have you, are you finished now? Are you all done with finals or is there anything lingering? I'm all done with finals. I just have to walk across the stage on May 30th and get that uh, $20,000 piece of paper. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> awesome. That must feel so good though. It feels fantastic. Five years of hard work. So it feels, it feels pretty great. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, what else do you have going on lately? Like what has, um, well, obviously it's been stressful, I'm sure, like leading up to getting everything done for graduation, but what's going on with you? Uh, well, I've certainly been relaxing the last few weeks um, because, you know, the finals and the final paper writing and all that stuff. So it's been nice to kick back and relax. Um, I'm going to Mexico in two weeks time. So I've been uh, I've been prepping for that, getting all my immunizations and all that fun stuff, picking up bathing suits. Oh, you know, um, <laughs> but no, also a little bit more about me. I'm really into politics. Um, I'm really involved with the Progressive Conservative Party in Newfoundland and Labrador here. And uh, they're actually undergoing a leadership race now. And I'm currently working with one of the candidates there, uh, Chess Cross 
Crosby. So I've been pretty hard with that, trying to get our vote out and everything because uh, the new leader is going to be announced on April 28th. So that's just nine days from now. So I've been pretty busy with that, I must say. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Yep. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, yeah. And I, so, wow, you sound really busy. I, <laughs> so I recently actually just, um, I'm back. I'm literally like back home in Nova Scotia. I was living in South America since last summer. Um, and I just got in last week and like, oh my goodness, Melissa, like trying to, it wasn't like moving back was not was not so difficult. Like it's basically just get on plane, right? And my whole life now apparently fits in one suitcase, (laughs) which I'm not sure if if that's like depressing or if that's like really freeing, but my whole life basically fits in one suitcase. I don't know. It's pretty convenient. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Uh, But I have a, I have a small dog. I have a Yorkie and uh, well, he's a big Yorkie. He's like 20 pounds. So that's big for a Yorkie, (laughs) but he's still a small dog. But trying to arrange like multi-country stop travel with your dog is that was like a living nightmare. Like every country has different requirements and quarantine schedules and like it was just it was nuts. So I am I'm so happy (laughs) to finally be back here in Canada where I have, you know, stable power and reliable Internet and running water (laughs) and all those stuff. (laughs) All those things that we take for granted on a day-to-day basis. Oh my gosh. I know. I feel so spoiled. (laughs) Like I like go to the tap and I'm like, oh my goodness, instant pressure. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my. I know. It doesn't take it doesn't take much to make me happy now. (laughs) Oh my gosh. No, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say. Yeah. Okay. So um on today's episode, we wanted to talk about uh behavioral interview questions. Um and the reason that I wanted to talk about this is because when I've been, I've been talking to some candidates and getting them ready for interviews and doing some interview prep. And for some reason, I keep hearing people say things like, oh, those situational questions or those behavioral questions, you can't, you can't really prepare for them. Just try, like, I'll just try my best and get through it. And I'm like, that's complete BS. <laughs> like, You can absolutely, and you should absolutely prepare for situational and behavioral questions because they are they're somewhat predictable um and you should have a strategy going into to answering them um so I really I like I obviously have a a strategy that I try to help people with so that they you know have sort of a sort of a, a formula um to go about answering these questions um but I guess from your point of view on like that on your the HR side or the recruitment side, um, why do you guys find you find these very valuable, right? These situational behavioral questions? Oh, yeah, 100 um, percent. I know the company that I worked for, we always did behavioral interviews. That was our that was our go to. But the main reason why we did is because we were able to test interviewees and candidates on the core competencies that we needed for the job in using a behavioral interview. So, I mean, we go by leadership, accountability and so on and so forth. But, yeah, it's there's definitely a big value in uh, having behavioral interviews. So feel free to jump in here um, to add anything that I might be missing. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the techniques that I use with um, with my job searchers is, well, there's two, like some people call it star and other people call it carry. I like calling it carry just 
because I think it's <laughs> it's a nicer name. Um, and so the CARE method, it's you know, and it's an acronym for challenge, action, result, impact. So if you get a situational question um, and they're asking you basically, you know, like tell me about a time when um, you can use this carry formula. So you would start with describing the challenge, then the action you took, mm -hmm. uh, then the result of that action, and then the ultimate impact overall. Um, so I have a couple examples here. Um, so like if you were, you know, faced with a challenge or or if you're asked to describe a time when you resolved a major problem at work, um, you could start by describing the challenge, like I was handed a failing project that was behind on milestones and client deliverables. Then you would talk about the action you took. So something like I gathered all the team members to assess the current state, get feedback, and then I reallocated the tasks and workload among the team. And then you could talk about the results. So the result could be that your new action plan included communication strategies um, and new milestones that motivated the team. And then most importantly, the overall impact, uh, which would be, you know, the project was completed on time and you met all the client deliverables, something like that. Um, when I notice when I coach when I coach people for interviews and, and we go through some of these examples and we try to get this formula in place, I find a lot of times people are tempted to, and I'm not really sure why this is, but they're tempted to spend like 90% of their answer time describing the challenge itself or the problem. And then only like 10% of the time talking about how they resolved it and what the end result was. Um, which is kind of, which is kind of unbalanced. Um, ideally, I think the challenge should be just very brief, and then spend more time talking about, you know, how you approached it, what you did, and how that eventually had an impact or a positive result for the company. Yeah, what, I like would, what has? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I would agree with that as well, Tammy. Um, that's something that I always found when I was giving interviews. Um, I typically had to pry to see what their see how they went to resolve the challenge and see what their end result was. But yeah, no, it's something very common that many interviewees do and many candidates do. But yeah, it's time to move past the challenge and move on to what you did to make this situation better and what you did to improve the situation. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think it can it can actually be detrimental to you in your interview if you spend too much time on the challenge, particularly if you're being asked questions like, you know, tell me a time when you had a difficult boss or tell me about a time with a difficult coworker. If you spend most of your answer talking about, you know, why your boss was horrible or why your coworker was like um, a complete mess, like that doesn't make you look like a very good team player or, no, like, someone who can, or like someone who can work with other people. Um, so it's better to just say, you know, well, my leader was a little difficult, but here's what we did. Like get right to get to the solution part. Mm -hmm. I would agree with you on that. Yeah, I have one. I'm going to share, I'll share one more example that I had here. Um, oh yes. And this is what we were just talking about. So, um, interview questions that will ask about conflict. So like with a coworker or manager or a client, um, and, and like we sort of just discussed, these questions are designed to 
sort of uncover whether or not you're a team player or if you're difficult to get along with, um, because obviously employers want to hire people who can get along with people and manage conflict appropriately, like responsible adults that we should be. Um, so again, the CARI approach, C-A-R-I, which is challenge, action, result, and impact. Um, so the challenge, let's say your challenge in this situation could be something like you are assigned to a research project with a coworker, um, and you know the deadline was very tight, but the co- your other coworker wasn't really pulling their weight in that situation. Um, so you could go again, go quickly to the action. Uh, my partner seemed completely overwhelmed. Uh, I remained calm and asked if there was anything that I could do to help or support him. I asked if I could help with any obstacles he seemed to be facing. Uh, then the result would be something like we were able to have a productive conversation about his workload and workflow. We redistributed the tasks so that he could execute more of the quicker tasks. Um, and then you could give some details there. And then the impact would be we were able to complete the project on time and deliver results, the results in a presentation to our boss. So something like that. So if no matter what sort of situation you're given, if you can come back to this carry formula, this challenge, action, result, and impact, um, you will be you will be on a, on a good path for for answering those questions. No matter what sort of situation is is thrown at you, um, and I think Melissa, you might agree with this too. With these sorts of questions. Because I know it's like being interviewed is a high stress, kind of a high pressure situation for a lot of candidates. But with these sorts of inter- with these sorts of interview questions, like it's okay to take your time and think about it a little bit, right? That's something uh, that I uh, I always uh, stressed in interviews. Like, okay, go ahead, take your time. Like, we're not in any rush here. Um, recruiters will typically, you know, go and leave the the appropriate amount of time and a little extra for an interview. So I mean, you're you're there to sell yourself. So so take the time to sell yourself. Don't ever feel rushed in an interview because it's only gonna it's only gonna look bad on you if you go ahead and rush yourself. So no, certainly take your time. Go through go through your mind and uh, come up with an answer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're trying to think of like situations, so if if someone is asked a situational question. Uh, let's say they have several examples to choose from. Um, like, would you recommend choosing something where, like, the the situation wasn't completely a disaster, something like middle of the road, or or really try to pick the one where you had the biggest impact? I would I, honestly just go with whatever you feel most comfortable with. That that's what I would do because I mean, I, sometimes when you go and you choose something with the biggest impact, it almost might come off as though you're over exaggerating or overselling the situation. But I mean, if you're comfortable in selling yourself in that situation, by all means, go with it. Right. Good tip. I like that a lot. Uh, okay. So I think that's the end of our first segment um, of our major job tip, I guess, um, or job search tip. Any anything else to add on situational interviews before we head to segment two? Uh, no, I think we pretty much covered it all there. But I mean, it's just important to remember, as with any interview, it's always important to prepare. Um, you should never go into an interview blind. I mean, you won't know the questions, but it's important to actually go through the job ad and look for any core competencies that they have there. So whether it's leadership, teamwork, communication, um, 
innovation or something like that, it's always important to go through and look for situations where you found yourself in, where you showed leadership, where you showed good communication, where you showed innovation and so on and so forth. Right. I like that. See, so you can prepare for these questions. Um, so this is our news segment. Um, usually I try to find something about women in the news and careers related. Um, and this story that I found, I thought was kind of cute, but also really encouraging. Um, so what researchers have been have been doing to study like gender biases? is they've had kids draw pictures of different professions and then they watch to see how these pictures, the pictures that the kids draw change over time. So in the 1970s, researchers asked kids to draw a picture of a scientist. And of course, in the 1970s, um, all but 2%, so like 98% of all the kids drew a scientist as a man. Uh, but now, in 2018, kids are actually drawing more women. Um, so it's almost like it's almost 50% now of kids who draw pictures of scientists will draw women. Um, so I guess that means that girls are seeing women as scientists like on TV, um, I guess like Big Bang Theory or like in movies. Um, so these the kids are actually drawing women as scientists and i know this this doesn't seem like a huge a huge deal maybe but i think it's really cool because we know that what kids see or what yeah what kids see they believe they can be so if girls are seeing women be scientists that sort of opens them opens them up to becoming scientists oh what do you think melissa no, like, I mean, I certainly see that. I mean, we're moving towards a more, um, a more equal uh, world now, in my opinion. And um, certainly feminism is certainly helping with that. Um, but no, I can, I can definitely see that. I know um, one thing when I was living back home in my hometown, we used to do a female empowerment day every year. So, we, you know, we had a female air pilot coming in, we had a female politician come in, a female firefighter and all this stuff coming in and speaking to all these young girls. And I mean, just getting out there and, um, like kind of uh, portraying your knowledge and showing showing how women can do anything they put their mind to, um, it certainly makes a difference for children. I I think. Yeah, absolutely. That is really cool. We didn't have anything like that at my school when I was growing yeah. up. I really like that. Yeah, it was kind of like a kind of like a off the whim idea. It was something that we just came up off the top of our heads like, oh, like, this is a nice idea. We should do this. We only ever expected to get 10 or 20 kids coming out to it. But no, we started it back in 2011. And it's it's a it's an annual thing. Now I went home two years ago to go to the female empowerment day and see how it was going. And I mean, there was 120 kids there. It's it's fantastic. It's a uh, it's certainly something that a lot of young children, uh, young girls look forward to every year now. Wow. Yeah, that, that's something that should be like implemented everywhere. That's a really great idea. Yep. And uh, just to, so this, this research study that, um, that they did just to add on the, the not so positive part, I guess. So they, the young kids were drawing a lot of women as scientists, 
but when they asked older kids to, um, not as many. So, um, so there is still, I guess, some of those gender roles and stereotypes are are seeping into kids as they get older, unfortunately. I think it ultimately comes down to your home life as well. I know that we did um, an activity in a course I was doing uh, a couple months ago, and it was um, it was kind of a word activity, and you had to relate words like briefcase, office, um, nine to five, and then kitchen and um, family and laundry and stuff like that. So you had to relate like the office type words to men. And then women would go with kitchen, laundry, family, so on and so forth. And pretty much what it was to see um, your gender bias. So it was tested on that. And I know personally, I had absolutely no gender bias. And I think it was because I grew up, my mom was always the one who had the, who had the office. She was always the one who had the briefcase. She was the one who was working the long hours. And not that my dad didn't work, but it's just my dad didn't have a demanding job. My dad had a nine to five job and he was the one who was able to go and pick me up at school when I got sick. And he was the one to go and do laundry and he was the one to cook and everything like that. And mom was the one who was always at the office working the long hours. So I, again, right. I just think it comes down to what you grow up with and what your household is like and what your family situation is like. Absolutely. I think that makes, yeah, it does make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Like I know, like growing, when, like growing up in my house, everything was very equal. Like both my parents worked, both my parents cooked, both my parents cleaned. Um, both my parents were coaches on my softball team. Like it was very, like, I didn't see any difference like growing up. It wasn't until like I hit my twenties and got out in the workforce that I was like, Whoa, (laughs) what is going on out here? Like, what is this? Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so I think it makes, I think it makes a huge, I think you're right. It makes a huge difference. What kind of household you grow Mm -hmm. up in and whether or not things are shared, along neutral lines or if things are very gender specific. Okay, great. So uh, we're going to move along to our third segment. Um, And this one is just some questions that I've been getting. But Melissa, again, I really want your feedback here. Um, So I've had some people reaching out to me and it, it's this often happens when people are either um, a little unsure of how they want to proceed or where they see their career going, um, or they're starting to get a little desperate in their job search. Um, basically, people tend to ask me like how specific their resume has to be, and a lot of people are tempted when they get desperate or when they're just thinking, "I just need any job. I just need any job." to really widen out, like widen up their resume, throw in all kinds of details, all kinds of like random skills um, that doesn't really speak to anything specific. So basically they're trying to be everything for everyone in their resume and in their job search. And they're applying for jobs that are all over the place from like finance and marketing or hospitality and manufacturing, like all over the place. Um, but what I have found in actual practice that the people who get the best jobs and get the find their jobs fastest are the ones who are super targeted. They really sort of like niche right down to a very, very specific role. All their resume speaks to a very specific role. um, And they really sort of position themselves as an expert in that one thing that they really want to get. 
And I guess the, the analogy that, that I try and use to sort of explain why this works is like, if you were having, if you were having like a major plumbing problem at your house, um, and you've had a, a septic system, say like back up into your house, which is possibly the worst thing ever. I, I know that happened to me in South America, actually. It's freaking disgusting. I had a like cesspool in my living room. Um, <laughs> but so if this was if this was happening to you and you needed to find a plumber, um, let's say you had you you needed to find a plumber and you came across two ads. One was for like a plumber who said that he could handle any household repairs and he could do like lawn maintenance, carpentry, plumbing, painting, and electrical. And then you came across another ad and it said that he was a plumber who was available for emergencies and he specialized in blockages, septic backups, and old home plumbing repairs. You're more likely to call the guy who's like, I specialize in this blockage and septic backup, right? Than you are the, the, the guy who can do everything. Because the impression is if you can do everything, you're probably okay at doing all of those different things. But if you specialize in one thing, you're probably really good at those few things that you can do. Um, so it's sort of the same way when you're marketing yourself in your job search. If you look like you can do a little bit of everything, people will think you don't do any of those especially well. Whereas if you're very targeted, people will think, oh, well, if this is what, <clears throat> sorry, if this is what you focused on, you're probably really good at these things. What do you think, Melissa? Like when you look at resumes or when you've looked at candidates, is it the specialized people or the broad range people? No, it's it's definitely the specialized people, Tammy. Like I know I've had people who have given me twelve and fourteen page resumes before, and it's oh stuff that's it's stuff. It's it literally it's like a short, it's like a novel of sorts. And I mean, it's stuff dating back to the eighties. I mean, oh my um, goodness. Like, it's just like, yeah, like, it's great that you have that experience, but it's not necessary to put all that in there. It's really important to go and focus in and make your resume specific and make sure that it focuses on the core competencies and the core accountabilities of the job. I know myself personally, I have currently about three different resumes going right now. So I have my HR resume that has all my HR experience on it. And then I have a resume that has some of my marketing stuff on it because I do have a background in marketing as well. And I also have a customer service resume. So, I mean, it's important to go and and hone in on those key details and go and customize it uh, to uh, to the job and to the employer. Yeah, and I love what you just said about having the different resumes because um, that's a great solution for people who are like, well, I kind of want I want to be able to apply for these different things. Well, you know, you absolutely can apply for different types of jobs or in different industries, but you can't use the same resume for all of those different jobs. I guess what we're, we're trying to say here is just try and be as specific as you can and really sort of narrow it down. Um, and if, if like Melissa, like if you, if you have different areas of interest or there's different things that you wanna do, uh, just create different resumes. Um, I know that that sounds probably, that might sound a little painful, um, but really just try and bring forward you know, those those core competencies, like Melissa says, um, bring forward all the things that are specific to those roles. The more specific you can be, the better off you're going to be as as much as that might seem counterintuitive. That's really how it's going to work. Uh, all right. I think that brings us to the end of our first episode, Melissa. 
Yeah, I think so. <laughs> awesome. Uh, this was fun. I really like this. We did a good job, I think. <laughs> yeah. I know it's my first podcast, so I mean, the nerves are still there, but I certainly enjoyed it. I think this is going to be a fun experience. I think so too. I think so too. We we have a lot we have a lot of co- in common, and we have a very similar mission and passion. I think so. Um, we're we're gonna have a lot to talk about. I feel. <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah, I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Your support means the world to us. And we really would love to hear from you. Like, help us um, pick topics for future episodes. If you have questions that you want us to answer on a podcast, either one of us, um, you can email us anytime. We have a new email address uh, for the podcast. So you can reach either me or Melissa. And the email address is kickglasspodcast at gmail.com. And again, it's kickglass, G-L-A-S-S, podcast at gmail.com. You can also find both of us in the Kick Glass Career Women Facebook group. Uh, That's facebook.com slash groups slash kickglass. And that's, that's it. We will see you next time. Bye, Melissa. See you, Tammy. 